You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello there, future friends. I'm Kina, the host of the Historical AF Podcast. Katie and Nathan wanted me to let you know that this show contains a plethora of colorful language. In other words, they cuss a lot, guys. Like a ton. I wasn't supposed to cuss. (laughs) Anywho, if cursing isn't your jam, then this may not be the podcast for you. But if you're down for some F-bombs and you dig comedy history podcasts, then you're going to love this episode and you should head on over to my show. Historical AF is a boozy and delightfully foul-mouthed comedy podcast. We are a historian, that would be me, and some special guests delivering the funny, weird, spooky, and morbid historical nuggets you never knew you needed in your ear holes. Cheers, bitches! Hi, this is Katie. And this is Nathan. And you're listening to Queen's Podcast, the show about badass women in history. Queen's, Queen's. Nathan. Katie, what's going on? I'm so excited to get back into the story of Elizabeth York, aren't you? I know, there's so much drama. (laughs) So much drama for your mama. (laughs) First, let's recap where we left off last time. She, Elizabeth York, was the daughter of a king and his scandalous wife, Elizabeth Woodville. By age 18, she's been hiding in sanctuary twice. She has lived to see like all her relatives killed, including her younger brothers, aka the princes in the tower. And now her secret fiance has just won the war and has sent for her to come to London to be queen, we think. (laughs) truth Uh, but before we dive into her story let's do some patreon shout outs shout outs so first shout out to our patreon supporters rebecca lauren maddie and jack and shout out to cindy katie and elizabeth and of course thank you to all of our patreon supporters at every single level as well as any of and all of our dedicated followers so uh and if you're brand new to us welcome yeah if you're brand new this is probably is not the episode to start on but we're we're happy you're here anyway (laughs) we left lizzie she's like out in this country palace her uncle and secret fiance are at war and she just learns henry tudor won the war thus ending the wars of the roses and sealing her fate as the next queen queen of england so she's packing her bags she's getting out of there all her bags are packed and she's ready to go she's standing there outside your door she's leaving on a jet plane don't know when she'll be back again (laughs) 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 but anyway um (laughs) thank you for the musical number at the break uh but lizzie is 
ushered into London in her royal bougie style, like the princess she fucking is. Mm -hmm. And um, remember, she's like been in the public eye her whole life. And so she's like this super popular figure. So everybody knows her. And the last three years have been full of scandal and fighting, people scheming. So Lizzie kind of represents this time when things were coming back to normal. So the entire country is under the impression that the new King Henry is going to marry her like right off the bat, right whenever he steps foot in England, they're getting hitched. And the two of them are going to rule as this duo. But uh, I think Elizabeth might have been under this impression too. If, if so, she's in for quite the surprise. <laughs> yeah. So also in this like caravan of nobility that she strolls into London with was her cousin, Edward, the Earl of Warwick. Uh, his dad had been old king, the old king's brother. So do you remember Uncle George that got drowned in the vat of wine? Yes. This is little baby Edward's dad. Uh, so little baby Edward was 10. He's Elizabeth's first cousin. And a lot of people believed that maybe you could say he had a better claim to being king of England than Henry Tudor did. So... Poor baby Eddie is immediately brought to the Tower of London, and that's where he spends the rest of his life. We'll talk about him a little bit later, but oh, poor baby Eddie, you know? Yeah. Basically, if you have a claim to the throne, there's a 50-50 chance things are going to go bad for your life. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Henry didn't really like all of this fawning over, you know, poor baby Eddie. Um... So he's, you know, brought in with a separate smaller group, snuck into London, and they just kind of tuck him away quietly. So Lizzie's brought back to London, and she goes into the care of her new mother-in-law-to-be, Margaret Beaufort. So um, Margaret Beaufort was possibly a really intimidating figure. (laughs) And while Lizzie and Maggie, like, knew each other, it wouldn't have been that well. So this was probably really fucking awkward for her. Right? (laughs) So let's talk about Margaret Beaufort very briefly though, because she, I'm sure she's going to get her own Queens podcast episode at some point. But Maggie B had her only child, uh, Henry Tudor. She gave birth to him when she was like 13 or 14. Like she was, it broke her insides basically. I know like it almost killed her and it almost, she never had any more children, even though she was married like three more times. So it's likely that having him just canceled it all out. Like she couldn't have any more kids. So most of his life, her, her only son, Henry lived in exile on account of being the last Lancastrian boy. And therefore everybody wants to kill him again. See above. About. <laughs> yeah. um, so her whole adult life, she's been very worried and focused on her son's well-being. And now that he's king, she is ready to be super annoying about like being his cheerleader and being like his hype man and making sure that nobody fucks with him and that he's going to be a successful king. Ooh, I bet she was a really bad in-law. Uh, <laughs> she like anything that you do do wrong, she's gonna call you out. On oh it. my gosh, nothing! <laughs> I'm sure nothing she did was good enough for Margaret Beaufort's perfect little <laughs> angel son. Yeah, right. So here at Maggie B's house is where Lizzie and Henry probably met in person for the first time. 
So Henry's stepdad wrote several times about Henry coming to pay court to Lizzie and the two seemingly get along. And, you know, we believe that Elizabeth expected him to come and formally propose like right away. Like right away. Yeah. Yeah. Like right whenever he meets her to be like, hey, we're getting married. Um, And in fact, a lot of people expected like his first act as king would be to draw up this marriage agreement. Um, In fact, because a lot of people had backed him because of this promise to marry Elizabeth of York, because she is such of a a well-known person. She's the heir. She's the heir to Edward IV. So they thought that they would get married and either rule jointly or he would rule in her name. And uh... yeah, because I mean, at this point, you know, you need a little bit of unity yeah and also <laughs> and no this, one no one knows henry tudor yeah right he's like this uh imposter guy who came in by conquest and right. ruled england it's like yeah maybe you need a little bit of somebody that's well established here so that mm-hmm. this this marriage would bring the lancasters and the yorks together totally basically. and so yeah everybody thought he was going to do that right away but i have to tell you and Henry took his fucking time with that shit. <laughs> he started the paperwork on the papal dispensation that they needed to get married. Cause like, um, if you're not familiar with that term, we've talked about it several times on this show. Basically they were slightly too related. Like the church said you had to be, you could only be related within the fourth degree and they were within, they were third cousins. But I mean, to us, that's like, ew. But back then, I mean, first cousins got married, so it wasn't that big of a deal. But I guess when Henry Tudor, like, sent off the paperwork for the dispensation, he was like, no need to priority overnight this shit. Like, let's just do standard mail. We don't, we are in no hurry here. Yeah, and actually Henry... went ahead and planned his own coronation before all this. So. And everybody was like, oh, the fuck? Uh, and, and even <laughs> worse to that, um, Elizabeth of York was not invited to it. So she didn't even attend. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, sure she's, I'm sure she's like, um, what the, the, the fuck? Um, are we getting married? Um. <laughs> I, I would be nervous if I was her. I mean, the last three years of her life have been so uncertain. Like, what is my future? If I was her, I would just be like, I just want to know what my life is going to be. Somebody just, what the fuck is happening here? You know what I mean? Right. On October 30th, 1485, Henry VII is officially crowned King of England at his bougie coronation. Yep. See, Hank Seven wanted to make it very, very clear to the entire country that he was not ruling in the place for somebody, some old king's daughter. He won England by conquest. He was the last Lancastrian heir. He is ruling by his own right to rule. So everybody was kind of like, is he going to jilt Elizabeth? And a lot of people were like, this is the only reason we backed you. This is... (laughs) You can't, you can't just bait and switch us like this. You need to marry this princess. Cause you know, she's just like, there's also like, you know, that medieval thought of like a damsel in distress. She was very much a damsel in distress. Go fucking save the damsel in distress, dude. Go. (laughs) So Hank's stepdad wrote that Lizzie was just so overcome with love for Henry that she was just real torn up at the fact that he hadn't married her yet. I mean, it's 
possible that she was in love with him, but it's also possible that she was kind of obsessed with this 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 foreign concept of having some fucking certainty in her life. <laughs> Her whole family's like killed each other. So she's kind of scared. <laughs> right? Like I um I wonder if it was like almost something akin to like a Stockholm syndrome. Mm. I am in love with you because you are the way that I move forward in my life. Uh because otherwise what? I, I mean, who knows? Maybe she could even be going like to like some dark places in her mind. Like, is he gonna put me in the Tower of London? with my cousin yeah i mean she has every right to feel that way right so then finally in december 10th on december 10th henry declares in front of parliament that yes as soon as the papal dispensation is back from the pope i will marry elizabeth of york and they have a pre-contract made up and everyone just like sighs the sigh of relief. I mean, I'm even sighing relief and I know that what happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is four months that she's been in London, not knowing what if he was ever going to like fucking put a ring on it. Yeah, so it's I'm not sure. like a couple weeks or something. It's like, yeah. it's it's almost a half of a year. <laughs> yeah, so she is sighing a sigh of relief. The country is sighing a sigh of relief. God damn it, Henry. Like, Took his time about it. Yeah. And so on January 18th, 1486, she's at Westminster Abbey and she's singing the song. I'm getting married in the morning. Ding, dell, the bells are gonna chime. Go into the chapel and she's gonna get married. Go into Westminster and she's gonna get married. Anyway, so this is just like shy of her 20th birthday. And Obviously, being that a king and queen are getting married, this wedding is quite the to-do, let me tell you. Oh, yes. Later in life, people talk about Henry VII being like a cheapskate. That is is not the case with this wedding. (laughs) Her dress is gorgeous. So it's like this crimson and gold with a damask pattern on the sleeves in him. So damask is kind of... I don't know how to describe it. How would you describe it, Kate? I'd describe it as you see a lot of it on like napkins at your grandma's house. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I I don't really know how to describe it either, but it was a really, really popular pattern back then. And I think it's really pretty. And so I love it. Yeah, it was red and gold because people didn't wear white wedding dresses back then yet. Um, You usually just wore your nicest dress. But of course, when you're a queen or about to be a queen, you have one specially made, but most people just wore their nicest dress. And this uh, dress would have cost in modern day dollars or British pounds, about $5,500, which is still like compared to like Kate Middleton's dress or something, not all that much. But for back then when people just, you know, normally just wore their nicest dress, dropping $5,500 on a dress that you're going to wear once was bananas. <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot for back then. And they also had a huge wedding feast. So like a lot of other coronations, there's a joust in honor of their wedding. Um, All the royals are invited, lots of food, lots of wine. I mean, it is a big big old fucking party. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sign me up. Absolutely. And then after the wedding, they went to bed together. Wow, 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 wow. We have to assume they consummated the wedding, but 
thank God it was not a Catherine de Medici situation where people watched them consummate the marriage. No witnesses were involved. Praise the Lord. I know that's so gross. Yes. (laughs) I read that back then it was a custom to give your new bride on the morning after your wedding night, a morning gift. And so he gave her like, this is really fancy book because she loved to read. And I, I didn't get a gift on the morning after my wedding. I you, you um, sound very bitter about this. <laughs> I I need a redo. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna get divorced and then remarried and then remarried and uh, please a wedding uh, morning after gift. Thank you. Um, I would like it to be diamonds. <laughs> so let's get to know the groom a little bit. Um, contemporaries will describe him at the time as you know good looking enough friendly enough and you know pretty pious which I think is kind of the norm for a king or a queen yeah um so in casual conversation it kind of seems like he's an easy to guy to get along with you know right um it appears though that he did have one illegitimate child before marrying Elizabeth but besides that there's really not any evidence that he was really a womanizer so as far as we know he never cheated on Lizzie so Pretty good qualities for her husband, right? I mean, friendly, good looking without being like stunningly handsome and faithful. You got it. Super. I think he is nine years older than her, which is not for the time. They're close enough in age. So she could have had it a lot worse. Oh yeah, for sure. But so it's important to remember, like I said, he's 29 and up to this point, he has lived his entire adult life in exile in constant fear that someone's going to come imprison him and kill him. And I don't know about you, but I feel like that seems like a pretty reasonable reason to make somebody like suspicious. Yeah. (laughs) And maybe not somebody that trusts people real easily. And the fact that most of the people that would have been after him are Lizzie's like immediate family probably <laughs> makes makes family get togethers a little bit awkward. <laughs> he is just a naturally really suspicious person, and I just feel like I can't blame him for that. To me, that just sounds like exhausting for Lizzie's gonna have to spend the next few years, the first early years of their marriage, working to get him to trust her. Yeah, I can see that happening. I mean, it would be hard to trust even your own family members at this point, because like I said earlier, the Yorks were like chopping each other's heads off. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm sure they're, you know, it's real awkward for them to kind of warm up to each other. So there is some debate on how happy their marriage was, but we do know one thing. She's a fertile myrtle. Babies on babies on babies on babies. Where'd she get her uterus from? She get it from her mom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Looking at her mom and her grandmother, I'm not at all surprised to uh, learn that she had no problem getting pregnant. She got pregnant immediately. Yeah. Some people think that they actually were hooking up before the wedding because their first child was born just shy of nine months after the wedding. What do you think, Nathan? Do you think they boned pre-Westminster? I think they didn't. You think no? I think no, because number one, I think it would be kind of against the norm at that time to to have sex before the wedding. 
especially in this kind of like controversial, crazy time. And number two, I think my biggest point would be, I think that Arthur had some health issues, like his lungs could have been underdeveloped or something like that, which would have made him more sickly as a child. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of documentation saying that he was kind of a sickly child and that's why he died early. So that tends to be my thing is that they did not bone before the wedding. He was born premature and as a result had some health issues, which contributed to him dying early. What about you, Katie? I don't know what I think, but to play devil's advocate, so they had had the pre-contract already written up. And back then, like a lot of people, once you have the contract written up, in the eyes of the law, you were married. So a lot of people just didn't even go through with the wedding because it was just a formality. But when you're king and queen, you have you have to have a wedding. I wouldn't be shocked if after the pre-contract was written up, Elizabeth was just so excited that she had sex with him. Because she want, also wanted to like solidify it in her mind as well. Like, okay, okay, this is happening. It's consummated. Yeah. Have to like, I don't know. Listeners, let us know what you think. I want to continue this debate. <laughs> so either way, they're married in January and Arthur, Prince of Wales, was born in September that same year. And the crowd went wild. Oh my God, a baby boy on your first try. Yeah, that is like, and a baby boy that survived too. The war's over. You've united these two sides together. They're married with a baby. So I mean, everybody's like, it's over. Like the war War of the roses is is over. Sorry, the John Lennon song. I know. (laughs) Let's talk about the name Arthur because that was obviously a very deliberate name that they gave their baby boy in case you don't know i I, because i don't want to assume what anybody knows the arthurian legends about you know a legendary king from old england arthur sword in the stone merlin the round table all that jazz and this name was chosen to be like (laughs) this is to still a phrase from game of thrones you know this is the prince that was promised yeah (laughs) it's true though like that's what they were doing it's supposed to be ushering in a time of prosperity for england yeah and elizabeth had fulfilled her quote-unquote purpose you know on this first try and so she's like super duper popular in england right now i mean she was popular before but now i mean everybody loves her Uh, the general population and nobility a lot of people said that she uh, reminded them of her father. Like she was real fun. She's easy to talk to. She's funny. She loved music and games and all those, you know, finer things in life. So in other words, she's a whole lot more approachable than her husband and his overbearing mother. <laughs> yes. Who are still kind of, I mean, Margaret Beaufort has been in the game for a long time, but Henry is still new. So she's just kind of this familiar face. The nobility loved her, but the everyday person really loved her. She was just like this perfect medieval queen. She was beautiful, she was pious, she was kind, she was fertile. But most importantly, she was generous. We could sit here and list every organization and every person that she donated money to, but we would be here forever. Just put it in your head that she could not hear a sad sob story without breaking out yield checkbook. 
Yeah, like if somebody had a failing farm or there's a church that's going under or anything like that, she was the first one to jump up and be like, well, let's help them. So, you know, queens were allotted a bit of money for charity because it was, you know, part of the job as queen to be this softer, sweeter, kinder side of the monarchy. But sweet little Lizzie couldn't say no. And when she ran through that money, she ended up dipping into money from some of her Yorkish lands. So she went above and beyond. And then if Henry told her she'd spend enough, she'd just go behind his back and borrow more money. <laughs> yes, like it's so crazy because we hear this is not the first queen we've talked about going into debt. Marie Antoinette and Georgiana Cavendish, you know, the Duchess of Devonshire, they all went into debt, but this it's like from clothes and partying and gambling. Lizzie went into pretty significant debt, but it was because she couldn't, she couldn't stop giving money to poor people. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a little, like, I mean, uh, who, that, oh, damn, like she's poor because she gave too much to the poor. I know. <laughs> Besides charity, what were her other roles at court? Um, just to like sit there and look pretty. <laughs> I mean, kind of, but we can't <laughs> underestimate that that's really important. <laughs> yeah, it became apparent to Lizzie probably pretty early on that she was not going to have a big role in government. Mm-hmm. Henry was king. He had his advisors to advise. The first lady at court, in his opinion, was his mother. He, as far as we know, He never came to Lizzie asking for like advice on politics or anything to do with ruling the country. So how do you think she felt about this? Because her own mother had had a lot of sway with her father. I think, I don't, I wish I could jump in her brain and like travel back, but my best opinion would be that sure she may have been a little disappointed that she didn't have as much of a role but i really think that she didn't want to make any waves especially with this new overbearing mother this guy that's even scared for his own life Mm -hmm. at court so she's like i don't want to impose too much because then he may feel threatened that i'm trying to take the throne so i think she was okay with sitting back but was like you know i wish he'd give me a little more say so and stuff but i can see his point of view that's how i think she felt yeah i tend to agree i um i think a lot of things that we see in lindsay's personality is that she just wasn't a domineering personality Mm -hmm. and that's that's fine because it's not like she didn't have anything to do. She was still a major face of the monarchy. She went wherever Henry went, even when she was pregnant, which wasn't always. A lot of times queens were like, oh, you're pregnant. Just hang back. But he recognized how important she was to have around. She was like a peacekeeper. And I think she actually probably really valued her role as a peacekeeper, knowing that my job now is to end these fucking civil wars and keep it that way. Yeah, she may have not had any part in diplomacy, but she played a big role in keeping the peace. And I think she knew how important that was. So yeah, she's just kind of the friendly face. She's that presence at court. Yeah. And I think people described her as like passive. And I don't think that's fair. 
because yeah. I think that she did want to have a role in things. It's just not the way that the cookie crumbled and she just didn't want to get killed. And there are <laughs> some things she had, we'll talk a little bit later. She played a really big role in arranging marriages for her kids. That's not nothing. And there was one time even where there was some job, maybe it was like a governor or like a bishop's role or something like that, that Henry took Elizabeth's recommendation over Margaret Beaufort's recommendation. So it's not like he, she was being completely ignored either. That's what we think about if she was a passive queen or not. No, but she also wasn't a domineering figure and it just wasn't in her personality. Yeah, she watched her whole family get murdered. So she's not wanting to get murdered herself. Yeah, <laughs> funny how that works. <laughs> <laughs> so it is time for her to get coronated. Yes. Um, <laughs> and she didn't get coronated until after her son was born. And which, you know, people like to mention a lot. <laughs> yes, a lot of people say are the more sinister view is that Henry didn't want to like officially crown her queen until she had had that baby boy, which but, maybe. Yeah, but also she got pregnant on her wedding night or before. So maybe they didn't want her to be overworked while pregnant because, you know, coronations aren't an easy thing. It's a taxing, um, like it's a whole day of you traveling and yeah, it's it takes a lot of energy to be coronated. So about a year after she had Arthur, um, November 1487, she had her coronation. Finally. Finally. <laughs> it was like a, just a run-of-the-mill coronation. You know, the, the boat that brought her to the Tower of London was decorated to look like a dragon. Um, and, <laughs> and other symbols that would have made people like harken back to that uh authorian legend you know yeah so it's like okay the tudor pr team really wants you guys to know that they are the new family of like arthur and the round table and blah 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 mm-hmm. one thing that came with her coronation is she was one she was made the duchess of york she got income from like her families like old lands and then she was granted a bunch of other lands as well so she's getting more income that is stuff that she like doesn't have to ask henry for money for so in her mind she's like i can find so many schools and churches (laughs) direct quote direct quote (laughs) elizabeth of york probably so okay she is queen and she is anointed by god so that's super fucking sweet um so we have that heir so it's time for ye old spare yes (laughs) it's noteworthy that she really didn't get pregnant again until like arthur was two which for this time period like for now people are like good give her vagina a rest yes but for this this time period that's actually a really long time to be waiting and it seems as if her and henry weren't really separated all that long makes you wonder what would have happened one of the rumors is that she was actually really sick after having arthur leads you to believe that 
perhaps she had some kind of like lingering infection from childbirth that just took a really long time to heal that sort of thing or maybe she had a miscarriage maybe she had a miscarriage i mean there's a lot of or maybe they just didn't bone you know like there's so many it's just a bunch of rumors but either way we know that it took a while for them to get pregnant again but she did she did. Don't worry. She had more babies. In 1489, she had Margaret, who would go on to be Queen of Scotland. In 1491, she had Henry, who would go on to be Henry VIII. Maybe you've heard of him. In 1492, she had a daughter named Elizabeth, who sadly died at age three. In 1496, she had Mary, who would later go on to be Queen of France. And in 1499, she had a son who also died really young. I find the gaps between the pregnancies interesting. Maybe she did have miscarriages that they never noted. But like, if you look at her mother or her grandmother, they had a baby every year. Like basically from the year they were married until their mid forties when they couldn't Mm -hmm. really, it wasn't safe to have babies anymore. So yeah, you have to wonder, I I honestly think that Henry VII just really wasn't a horny guy. Yeah, I, I, I kind of tend to think so. I do think that they eventually loved each other. It may have not been like right off the bat, mm-hmm. but I think that there had to be some sort of chemistry there. Yeah, but I know? just don't think they were like, I think they were like, yeah, like you said, in love eventually, but I don't think they were ever in lust. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I can agree with that. And some but people I mean, just aren't super horny and that's okay. And at the end of the day, she ended up having a queen of Scotland, a queen of France, and a king of England. So, I mean, she's not doing too bad. Yeah, she still had plenty of babies, just like when you look at it compared to her mother and her grandmother. Yeah, who had like 12. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, they they had a litter of babies. So after her coronation, her big project was obviously securing marriages for all of her relatives and her loved ones. So at this point, She has three sisters that needed a good marriage. Mm -hmm. So she sets all three of them up with husbands that either already had good titles or or are set to have really good titles. Mm -hmm. So in England, which I think is important, she kept all three of her sisters close enough that she could go like on horseback to go visit them. Yeah, she didn't marry any of them off even to like British allies or anything. Because remember... She's been through a lot with her sisters. They are very, very close. When you're in sanctuary for a year and you have nobody to talk to except for your sisters, funnily enough, you're probably going to be close for the rest of your lives, you know? Yeah. And she had also paid their dowries. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Henry helped her set up the marriages, but wouldn't allow her to take the money out of the treasury for the dowries. So she did it herself. Yeah. He's like, you have lands and it's not like we're you know, making, making the marriages that are going to help them with diplomacy. If she's reaching for ye old checkbook for charity for strangers, she's also reaching for ye old checkbook to make sure that her sisters are taken care of. (laughs) I also read that like, if her sisters were coming to court, because they would off and on be like her ladies in waiting or whatever, Mm -hmm. if they were coming to court and they didn't have the finest dresses, even though their husbands were all rich fucking guys, they would be like, no, I'm not going to buy you a new dress your sister can buy you new dresses. So I think her family, or at least her in-laws, probably took advantage of her a little bit. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's fucked up, she's the queen. Right? (laughs) 
So now, as queen, you're on to arranging a marriage for Arthur, the future king. This is such a big deal. Oh, fuck yeah. It's like, we need to find the future queen of England. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. this is going to be the future queen. So they start negotiations with the notorious Isabella of Castile and her asswad of a husband, Ferdinand of Aragon. (laughs) Um, And they agreed... Yeah, right. They agreed to marry Arthur to their youngest daughter, Catherine of Aragon. Again, Um, you've probably heard of all of these people. (laughs) (laughs) A man who was sent to negotiate this from Spain appears to have been believed that Elizabeth didn't like her mother-in-law too much. So he wrote of like, Margaret Beaufort makes all these decisions. And the quote is, the queen does not like it. So let's just chat briefly about the relationship between Elizabeth of York and Margaret Beaufort. A lot of, basically it's speculation. This is all going to be speculation. Though from her actions, it's pretty evident that Margaret hated that Elizabeth outranked her. Not hated Elizabeth, but hated that she was outranked by Elizabeth. What do you expect? (laughs) yeah right (laughs) the protocol is you know if you're walking with the queen you have to walk so many steps behind her uh, depending on your rank so if you're a duchess you are walk next if you're a countess you walk next you know margaret beaufort would walk so close in line with the queen that it was almost to the point like if she was anybody else somebody would have said something like she walked like a half a step behind the queen. <laughs> Just close enough for it not to be a scandal. Right. And Margaret was bossy as fuck and always got her way. But if Elizabeth had hated her, then the first 10 years of her life of, as queen would have been hell. Because I mean, they're like together all the time. Again, this is theory because we don't have like anything surviving, like no diary entries or anything surviving from Elizabeth on this. But I think probably what happened is like once or twice at court, Margaret was being Margaret and Elizabeth probably like quietly rolled her eyes. And that set people off to be like, the queen doesn't like the king's mother. Because mm. these courts were like such a place for like gossip just to run crazy. I feel like if Elizabeth had ever done anything to actually show that she disliked Margaret, we would have documented evidence of it. Yeah. And also, Lizzie was used to hard-headed ladies. She had hard... Her mother was a hard-headed lady. (laughs) So I don't think Lizzie would have been like, I don't like this lady because she's bossy. You know what I mean? No, for sure. She was used to it with her mother. So I think they got along. You know, I mean okay (laughs) i don't think they were ever bffs i think that's the role her sisters played in her life but i think they got along fine yeah yeah when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, you may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Brenna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. 
Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. So things are rocking and rolling at the Tudor Court, and things are going pretty fucking well. I mean, the king seems to be doing a pretty good job at kinging. There were no huge wars. You know, there was an uprising here or there, but nothing, yeah, nothing huge. Um, the queen is just birthing them bait. <laughs> and they're the brink of this, like, baller alliance with Spain. So they're ready to make some, some time within Spaniards. So everything is going really well. But then in 1493, there's like some rumbling. There's some rumors. Something's going on. Somebody over in Ireland is talking about this guy. And the rumor finally fully makes its way to court. And this dude that's like over raising troops in Ireland says that he is, wait for it, Richard Duke of York, a.k.a. Her youngest brother, God. one of the princes in the tower. Yeah. Oh, the drama. Can you please stop? Right. <laughs> Thought we were over this. Right. There had been a couple of other people to come forward saying that they were Richard. No one really ever said that they were Edward, um, her older, younger brother. and But all of those had always been you know, kind of disproven or squashed as soon as they started. But for some reason, this one was really gaining traction. Yeah, it did. It really did. I I have to assume Lizzie didn't believe this was actually her brother because there had been pretenders before. But do you think maybe there was just like a little piece of her heart that hoped? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's as with anybody who ever has a loved one that's like missing and they can't find them, you always hold out hope that they're still alive somewhere. Um, so obviously I'm sure her hopes have been shattered so many times, but it, that still doesn't mean that she didn't have her hopes up. You know what I mean? But also what a, what a weird place for you to be in emotionally. Mm -hmm. Because on one hand, oh, what if my brother is alive? Because we know how ride or die she is for her family. Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand, oh, if my brother is alive, what happens to my children? Are my yeah. brother and my husband going to start the Wars of the Roses again? Do my kids go into the tower? That I don't envy <laughs> that situation. No, not at all. That's a little bit awkward. Yeah. So this, this pretender's name is Perkin Warbeck. And we're going to talk about him in a Patreon episode, this next Patreon episode. And we're just going to kind of gloss over it right now. Yeah. So we're just going to talk about how it affected Lizzie. Yes. Perkin makes his way to Burgundy, where Lizzie's Aunt Margaret is the Dowager Duchess and a very powerful figure. Oh, she had big pussy energy. Oh, yeah. And Margaret of Burgundy is like, yep, that's little baby Richard all grown up. That's him. And this 
really puts Lizzie in like this super awkward situation with her husband. <laughs> it's like, um, I'm sorry, my aunt thinks that my brother's still alive and you're not really the king. Like that's uh, just a little awkward. Yeah, she spent all this time gaining his trust. And now her family is once again trying to fuck up his life. This fucking family, though. (laughs) You think your family is complicated. (laughs) We really don't know if this hurt their marriage, but you also can't. It's not out of the realm of possibility that this would have put a strain on their marriage because your family is fucking with my dynasty. What the fuck lizzie you know but if henry did feel like that he didn't show it in public yeah for sure for sure now the king of france and the king of scotland put their support behind perkin so this even gets more scary so it's really confusing though because the king of france like previously backed henry the seventh against richard the third so it's just like Really, like, Don't. both of these people are, like, sticking to whoever is the king. Like, they're just going to stick it to whoever the king of England is. Doesn't matter who. Yeah, they just fuck, fuck England. They want to start shit there. Yeah, so let's fast forward a little bit. Uh, and Perkin was eventually captured, brought to London. And as soon as he is, he admits to being a, a pretender. Like, he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I don't Chicken. know why I said that. <laughs> and Henry and Elizabeth... This is what's funny is they actually give him a spot at court, which is really mm-hmm. interesting. Like mm-hmm. most king and queens would have had you beheaded. <laughs> I think that that was just going to go to show like we don't actually view this guy as a threat. Yeah. If we have him beheaded, maybe we viewed him as a threat. But it's like if we bring him to court, give him a job at court, give him a spot at court, um, you can see that we are not afraid of this guy. We don't think he's actually who he says he is. Um so Lizzie would have interacted with Perkin a yeah. lot because they were at court together. His wife was one of her ladies-in-waiting. I just wish we knew more about her, like, actually meeting him. Yeah, because, I mean, one could say if you're, like, really going and searching for those conspiracy theories, that they gave him that spot at court kind of to shush him, you know, and to be like, oh, maybe she, he was Richard, mm-hmm. you know, baby Richie. Um, and that's why they gave him a spot at court to kind of be like, Hey, you're still in the know. You just can't be king. Huh? (laughs) Just, just for the sake of a fun conversation. What do we think? What this guy had some pretty powerful backers. Do we think he was in any way, shape or form, possibly little baby Richard? I, I wish he was because that would make for such a more interesting story. But mm-hmm. I really don't think he was because, I mean, the fact yeah. that he just admitted it right off the bat and just because you have powerful backers, I mean, I think those backers are just trying to destabilize England, if anything. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's willing to challenge the king and destabilize England is somebody that these foreigners are going to back because they want to see England fail, basically. Yeah. And... Uh, and we'll talk about this more when we do the Patreon episode. But as soon as England was like, all right, aunt over in Burgundy, we're not going to trade with you anymore. And then Margaret of Burgundy was like, you know what? Maybe I got, <laughs> maybe I got that wrong. <laughs> so, um, but also I think a big thing is, you know, a, like we said, these European courts are like a hotbed for gossip. And 
Elizabeth was really good at keeping her fucking mouth shut about what she thought. But that doesn't necessarily mean all three of her sisters who were at court were. Mm -hmm. So if any of them recognized him and said something, I feel like there would have been more of the rumor mill. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think he's pretender, but it makes for fun historical fiction when we say that he's uh, he was actually Richard. We're looking at you, white queen. (laughs) (laughs) So in the meantime, Elizabeth got to focusing on her kids' upbringing. So... She didn't really get to have a big part in Arthur's upbringing because the heir usually just gets sent off to like Wales to, you know, get his own state. Yeah. Yeah. So, but she eventually threw herself into the education and upbringing of all of her other children. So as far as Queens go at the time, she was really Um, Mm hands-on. That doesn't mean that she saw them every day, but she did visit, she did write them often, and so did her husband, Henry, which is really odd. Yeah, which I think, I think he was a sweet father. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't see that when we talked about Catherine, the Catherine of Aragon episodes, but I think he had a bit of a personality shift later in his life. But just for instance, one of the books that he gave his daughter, Margaret, still survives, and he inscribed in it, um, I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, when you read this, say a prayer for your father who loves you very much. And I was like, oh, that is so sweet. Like, no, we don't always see kings having close relationships with their daughters like that. Rarely, so rarely. I, I think they were very loving parents. Yeah, I agree. I think that's, and that's a rarity for the time. I mean, you had Isabella of Castile, who was but that was a bit different yeah exactly and while she wasn't hands-on with arthur's upbringing she was very hands-on with his his engagement (laughs) Mm -hmm. she wrote she was a momager yeah for sure she was like blowing up isabella of castile's emails every fucking day Mm. and you got mail you got mail yeah and catherine aragon and you know all these emails are like so flowery and sweet so she's really trying to make set things up for them there's like lots of heart emojis yes lots of them and kisses um (laughs) there's record of her like dictating her letters and then going back and reading them and being like "No, no 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 we need to do that all over like so she'd really stress over making sure her letters to them were exactly right. Like she proofread it over and over and over again. (laughs) I feel like she took her responsibility for taking uh, Catherine of Aragon into their household, into their court, very, very seriously. For sure. I think she had some real serious, like felt maternal responsibility for Catherine. And one, it was probably for diplomacy's sake, but two, she had also been a royal princess who was told she was going to be married off and sent to another country. So she wanted to make Catherine feel comfortable, you know? Yeah. And Ferdinand and Izzy were a little weary to send their daughter over there, though with Scotland always on the brink of, you know, attacking England. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) they were like, oh, we don't want our daughter to die. Uh, So Izzy, Izzy was like, well, why don't you marry your eldest daughter to the King of Scotland? we'll feel a lot more comfortable with sending our daughter there and Mm -hmm. we know that elizabeth was like apprehensive like not just apprehensive very apprehensive about this Mm -hmm. um and while the engagement went through we have record of elizabeth and margaret beaufort both insisting that little 
baby Margaret not get sent over to Scotland until she's a bit older because they really didn't trust the King of Scotland, James, like not to have sex with the baby Maggie. (laughs) Yeah, they waited until she was like 14 or 15 to send her over, even though like initially the King of Scotland had been like, send that 10 year old over here now. And they were like, hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure Margaret. Push a pause. I'm sure Margaret Beaufort having her insides fucked is one of those reasons why. <laughs> yes, yes, probably. Fact that her thoughts on the matter of baby Margaret getting sent over there are documented at all, along like in line with Margaret Beaufort's. I think that's proof that she's not as she's not really the silent partner that she's always portrayed at her. Her opinions on the matter were taken into account. She just only made her opinions widely known when she felt like it was like something to put your foot down about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, So in the summer of 1499, Lizzie gives birth to her baby boy named Edmund and he died a short time after. And we think it may have been like a really hard pregnancy and labor because um, after Edmund died, I there's reason to believe that her and Henry just quit sleeping together. Hmm. If they did, maybe they were practicing like the pull-out method because we don't see any pregnancies for a while. Okay. And I think that they both were like, okay, we had a little girl named Elizabeth that died when she was three and that broke them. When their daughter Elizabeth died when she was three years old, they had like this huge funeral, like an over-the-top funeral, and Henry actually mourned in public, which was a little taboo. Um, So when the second kid died, I think they were like, we don't, no, (laughs) like it almost, it's bad for your health. You had a really hard pregnancy and birth, and we don't want to mourn any babies anymore. Yeah. Let's not do this again. (laughs) So I think my my opinion is they quit sleeping together at that point. Yeah, I can see that. And, and in that same year, guess who came back knocking on the door? Per- Perkin Morbeck. I mean, he's ready to start some more fucking shit. They have given him such a good setup. Why can't he just... Keep his mouth shut? Chill. Right? Yes. So he tried to escape and raise an army for himself. And he also... Uh, tied in Lizzie's cousin, poor baby Earl of Warwick in on it. So Mm -hmm. if you remember, her cousin was brought to, you know, the Tower of London with her and then put put there. And he's been there for about 14 years. So (laughs) it's like age 10 and he's now 24. That's a long fucking time. Yes. And a lot of people say that he's now mentally stunted. Like he's not completely all there. He's been in the tower for 14 years. It's not like they sent tutors and like people there to like educate him. He's just kind of been isolated mostly for 14 years. So it's not surprising if he was mentally stunted. Yeah, for sure. So even even if he did agree to this coup with Pork and Warbeck, Perk and Warbeck, like did he know what he was doing? No, I really don't. It, it makes me think of Brendan on Making a Murderer. Yeah, they're basically just like, hey, it's, it's, I, I can see, I can really see Perkin Warbeck, Warbeck being like, hey, if you follow me, we'll get out of here and we'll be free and you won't have to be captive anymore. And so yeah. he's, of course, like, 
you know, I've always. And then I can go watch wrestling or yeah. whatever <laughs> Brendan from Making a Murder said. Yeah. <laughs> he really, it's really sad. I know. Henry was like, nope, that is the end of the line for me. Off with y'all's heads. Yeah. Fucking Perkin. Like, what the fuck was he thinking? He had it so good. <laughs> Dang, what a dick. What, oh, baby girl, what is you doing? What is you doing? <laughs> So again, let's assume Perkin is not actually poor baby mm-hmm. Richard. You have to know, even if he's not Richard, it, the whole situation probably still affected Lizzie because she's seen her cousin be Yeah, uh, here we are again, killing more of her family members. <laughs> they would have been raised together for a little time as kids. And she was close to Edward, Edward's sister, Margaret Pohl, who get her own episode one day. Mm-hmm. But still, like, even if you're not close to them, it still must bring back childhood trauma. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't really, like, know her opinions on this, but I think we can safely assume that seeing her cousin beheaded or hearing about it was not fun for her. (laughs) But, I mean, I do get why Henry did it, though. I mean, Elizabeth's dad killed Henry VI, so it's you've got to kind of get rid of anybody who's going to be a threat and you know lizzie's mm-hmm. uncle killed her brother and possibly her other brother and <laughs> her uncle you know it's just so that's just how things went back then yeah and exactly it, so i get why henry did it but still it's just a shitty situation for elizabeth yeah so fast forward a few years and all of her hard work finally comes to fruition because catherine of Ar- aragon hits the scene in england yeah Lizzie and Catherine met the day before Catherine Arthur's wedding, but Lizzie had painstakingly done everything she could to set up a household and a staff and every single comfort that she could think of to make sure that Catherine of Aragon felt comfortable when she got there in England. Felt at home, Mm -hmm. like, yeah. On November 14th, 1501, Lizzie and her youngest son, Henry, escort Catherine of Aragon to her wedding. The actual wedding, Lizzie would have set behind like a screen. Because mm-hmm. it was always kind of the thing, like the higher ranking people at an event like that weren't present. So they didn't take attention Up, away. Upstage. The they didn't upstage them. Exactly. And at Arthur and Kathy's celebration after the wedding, like at their reception or whatever, this is really like the last time we see the entire Tudor clan together. And they're just like this vision of like the perfect royal family. Mm. They're all good looking. They're all super well-mannered. Henry and his sister, Margaret, who's like now also technically the queen of Scotland, dance together. And everyone's just like talking about like how beautiful and regal this family is Mm -hmm. and but yeah sadly it is the last time that we really see them all together yeah i know because like literally just a few months later arthur dies of the sweating sickness maybe maybe we don't really know there's a lot of theories like you were saying earlier maybe he had a pre-existing condition there's a lot of people that say that he was sick for a long time and then there's a lot of people that say that he got the sweating sickness which was just like this plague that you woke up in the morning, maybe feeling like you have a little bit of a cough and then you break out into a sweat and you sweat to death within 24 hours. So Wonderful. That sounds great. We don't know exactly how he died, but 
Mm. Yeah. I wish I had better news. Yeah. <laughs> but it really doesn't matter because he's dead. Um, <laughs> on April 4th of 1502, the king's confessor arrives and is like, um, I need to speak to the king alone. And mm-hmm. Henry was in a bit of shock and sent for Elizabeth, like, pronto. Um, right. And this was, like, first thing in the morning. And it seems like they didn't typically see each other until, like, mass a couple of hours later. So Elizabeth would have known something the fuck was up. You know, something's mm-hmm. wrong here. And this is a very sad but sweet scene. Um, and it's a very famous story. It's one of the very few stories that we have like firsthand quotes from Elizabeth and Henry and to show a look into their marriage. So Lizzie rocks up and Henry is like, Arthur has died. And then Henry fucking loses his composure as you would. Yeah, We have this rare moment of actually knowing that Lizzie like comfort him and told him, you know, like God has a plan for us. We have so many other children who are still healthy. You know, he's just a shattered man. And she tells him we are also still young enough to have more children. And that seems to like be the thing that she says that seems to like kind of give him a glimmer of hope. She is only 36. Her mother had kids until she was like in her mid forties. So we can maybe have more kids that seemed to like give him hope. And so. But I mean, how refreshing that we actually know how devastated Henry VII was and how Lizzie yeah. stepped up to the plate and kind of comforted him. I mean, we don't know that a lot about a lot of our Queens, like Catherine of Aragon, for example, you know, when she had all those mis- miscarriages, did we hear about Henry, Henry consoling her? No. No, no. <laughs> he did not take a word, a cue from his parents. <laughs> no. After some more tears, Henry thanks Lizzie for like comforting him and helping him grieve. And then he's like, okay, I need a little space. I need to be alone, which is understandable. So mm. Lizzie leaves, walks down the hall to her room, closes the door and then just breaks down in grief. so sad so sad so sad like she was so hysterical her ladies were like we need to send for the king or we need to send for a doctor she is just like they could not console her at all yeah it's it's such a sweet scene they they may have not like been a a perfect love match or had an overly passionate relationship maybe like her parents did but Mm -hmm. i think this sort of scene shows that they did grow to love each other they did grow to comfort each other and you know, yeah, for each other. So that's really important. When her ladies couldn't console her, they did send for the king and he comes like running down the hallway. Yeah. And, and then they kind of have like a flip situation. Like he consoles her and tells her all the things that she, he was like, remember all the sweet things you just told me? Well, ha- you know, it's God's plan. Da, 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 da. And yeah, you just, you don't see a lot of documented scenes like this of actual like, the tenderness between a king and a queen often. Yeah. And Lizzie held true to her word about this because she got pregnant again. <laughs> and, Pretty quickly. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and this is this is definitely viewed as an act of bravery since we believe that her last pregnancy and birth were a really hard one. But I think it just goes to show how she was dedicated to her family. And I believe she really believed that having another baby would heal this wound in their family. I agree. There were... Also signs that 
her health wasn't great in this pregnancy. There's a couple ones, but one thing that really stuck out to me, I think that this really, the grief that she felt whenever Arthur died really aged her and put her in a bit of a depression because there is this record that survives of her going to her apothecary and paying modern day $4,000 for sleeping treatments, Mm. like remedies to help her sleep. But we don't really have any evidence that she had insomnia before this. I know for most people, when you just out of nowhere get insomnia, it's a sign of another underlying issue, a depression. Anxiety, depression, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But Mm -hmm. by all accounts, she's very happy to be pregnant again. And she's optimistic about the future so she must have felt healthy enough during this pregnancy because she did a lot of traveling and stayed really visible to people so you know elizabeth gave birth to this baby and she did her she did her confinement in the tower of london which is a really weird choice it's probably where her brothers died it's where her cousin was held uh, captive for so many years and that she hadn't used the Tower of London as a residency since her coronation. So she doesn't have a long history of staying at the Tower of London. And in fact, there's records that at Richmond Palace, they had already started um, making her rooms there set up for her to do her uh, confinement. It leads a lot of people to believe that she was there doing something else and then went into like early labor or something and they had to like just not move her. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So on February 2nd, 1502, Lizzie gave birth to a little girl named Catherine. Thomas More wrote that it was a very difficult birth, but both mother and daughter survived. So yay. The baby was really small and weak. So they quickly christened her a day or two later, which is Mm -hmm. a sign that they weren't really optimistic about her surviving. At first, Lizzie was showing signs of like a normal recovery, maybe a little slower than the physicians would have liked, but no huge red flags, nothing to be alarmed at. But then a week after the birth, Lizzie's health took a nosedive. Mm. And Henry sent for doctors from all over the place, just like whoever can get here the fastest, get here. But it it was pointless. Yeah, because on February 11th, 1502, Elizabeth of York and her new baby died at the Tower of London. So that was um, Elizabeth of York's 37th birthday, which is so sad. I know, I know. Henry and the entire royal family was devastated. Mm -hmm. The court was devastated. The country mourned her. They had just lost this perfect perfect queen who just like symbolized this whole new generation of peace like henry never married again but some say that down the line someone asked him you know if you were to marry again what traits would you want in a wife and he basically was like well she would need to be beautiful and kind and generous and pious and love children and they were like so elizabeth of york okay We'll start looking for that. I think it shows that he really did love her in the end. And after her death is when he became kind of like what we think of him now as this like money grabbing cheapskate kind of like not super nice guy. 
but he did spend over a million dollars in modern day money on her funeral. Wow. That's a lot for him too. Like right? <laughs> he would never. <laughs> so let's talk about her legacy. So yeah. after her death, um, the tower of London stopped being a Royal residence altogether. And Royals really only stayed there before like a coronation or, <laughs> you know, if they were in prison. Um, yeah. It kind of became <laughs> synonymous with being a prison after she died there. Yeah. And Henry VII's reputation and personality really took a nosedive after she died. Henry VIII went on to be king, and he really idolized his mother. I feel like with all his wives, he was looking to recreate the perfect queen his mother had been. Don't you agree? Oh, for sure. He was giving me those Sigmund Freud mommy oh, issues. Oh, mommy issues. Oh, yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, she's she's viewed as this ideal queen, not just mm-hmm. by the royalty and nobility, but even by the commoners. So, I mean, right? wouldn't you want the perfect queen? And, oh, it's also said that the Queen of Hearts in a deck of cards was originally created to look like her. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, probably her most notable legacy is that her granddaughter, went on to be Elizabeth I of England, and she was named after Elizabeth of York. Though she never got to be queen herself, like a queen in her own right herself, her granddaughter that was named for her got to be. Yeah, and basically she's gone down in history as being a very positive person. Um, She was a woman that had a very tumultuous life that could have made her come out exactly the opposite but through it all she came she remained calm um she was generous she was ride or die for her family and country and i mean to that we just got like a nice lady yeah right and to that we just have to have a drink for lizzie cheers Cheers, lizzie lizzie (laughs) all right nathan that was so much fun i know love you i'll catch you next time (laughs) cheers bitches So thanks for listening. If there's something you want to hear, just like hit us up. You can email us at queenshistorypodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter. We're at queens underscore podcast. We're on SoundCloud and Stitcher. And follow us on iTunes at queens podcast, all one word. All smushed up. Queens podcast. Um, Follow us on Facebook. Our intro music is by K Sparks featuring Beyond Belief. Thanks for letting us use your song, guys. Thanks, guys, for listening. Cheers. Bye, girl. Clink, clink. <laughs> Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.